This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. If we see someone acting immoral and we have the ability to protest, then we have an obligation to get angry, to admonish, to rebuke. But what if in a case where we can't control it? There's nothing we can do. For example, he says, if you have a, a heathen, you have an idolater who's standing and uh, disturbing your prayer. You're trying to pray and he's standing and disturbing your prayer, in your face, disturbing your prayer. So there's nothing I can do, I can't, it's not out of my control. So the question is, what's the point? Why did Hashem allow for this to happen? Since we understand that everything that happens is by divine providence, and at this very moment, who gave, who put into this heathen's mind, who put into his head the thought that he should stop, disturb my prayer? Who put it into his head? Who gave him the ability to speak? Who is giving him the ability to speak? It's Hashem. If Hashem did not think, imagine, and put this thought into his head that he should disturb me, he wouldn't have even thought of it and he wouldn't be able to act on it. So why is Hashem putting it in his head that he should disturb me? What for? What's the reason? What's the purpose? Surely not to disturb my prayer, and yet he's disturbing my prayer. So the answer is, he said, in order to intensify the whole purpose is Hashem wants me to intensify my prayer. I should pray with such intensity until I become completely oblivious to the opposition. When, you, when you're so absorbed in what you're doing that you lose any sense of time, any sense of space, any sense of your surroundings. It happens occasionally. You get so absorbed and so lost in what you're doing that you're completely oblivious to your surroundings. So the whole purpose is Hashem wants to elevate our prayers. He wants to take us to the next level. It's not we're doing something wrong. We're doing something right. We're praying, but Hashem says, you're ready for the next level. You're ready for... So that's why Hashem planted into the head of this heathen to disturb me. And he's doing it because he's a vile anti-Semite. But the truth is that Hashem put it into his head. Why would Hashem put it into his head to disturb a Jew's prayer, a Jew is trying to connect with Hashem, it's all for the sake of connecting on even a deeper level, to intensify his prayer, to deepen his prayer. But since I can't stop him, it's, not a, it's out of my control, I can't stop him. The only thing I could do is, I could go deeper inside myself. I could double and redouble my effort and go deeper into the prayer until I become completely oblivious. I reach such a level of prayer where the world ceases to exist. So this is a very, very powerful point, that when the world is 
when the opposition is disturbing the Jew and trying to disrupt our Jewishness and our worshipping of Hashem and our connection with Hashem and our relationship with Hashem, the answer is, what's the response? Not to back down or to retreat or to you know, diminish our devotion. On the contrary, it's all coming from Hashem. It's something that's lost in the translation. So overtly, it's like an opposition. It's an anti-Semitic act. It's an opposition. But the truth is, what's really going on, the inner dynamic, the real message is that Hashem is telling us you have to go deep inside yourself and you have to deepen your connection and deepen your Jewishness. And then the opposition will just melt away. Because mission accomplished. <laughs> that was the whole purpose. And it's no longer necessary. The opposition is no longer necessary. Mission accomplished. I'm davening and I'm praying and much more intensely and then it's over. However, for such a level, one needs a great and intense arousal. It's not simple. <laughs> Even at the best of times, how do you, how do you focus and concentrate and, and, you know, and, uh, to such a degree? And especially at the same time that you're being disturbed and challenged and opposed. How, how are you able to reach such a level of concentration at that moment? So the answer is... And the council suggested to attain such an arousal derives from this very subject. One should consider and meditate on the concept of the descent of the Shekinah, as it were, how it descended in a wondrous fashion to have a spark of its radiance invested within the Klippo. It is generally in a state of exile among the Klippo in order to animate them. And now a spark of its radiation bests itself in a particular state of exile. In the speech of this Gentile who utters words that disturb one's divine service, one's devout concentration during prayer. And as explained above, Hashem created this opposite that each element of the holy side of the universe having its unholy counterpart in the other side, the Sitra Akra. Thus, the supernal speech vests itself in the nether speech, and so on. This, indeed, is the meaning of the verse, that man rules over man to his detriment, which was explained above in terms of the temporary dominion of the evil man of Klippa over the sacred man, the holy side of the universe. When the Gentile utilizes the spark which is exiled within himself to hinder a Jew who is trying to pray, the Klippo are manifestly ruling over the holy side of the universe. Thus, forces of holiness, however, can thereby be invigorated and vitalized when the worshiper reacts by upgrading his concentration. This he will be prompted to do when he meditates on the above-described descent of the Shekinah into exile. And from this exile he will seek to liberate it, in the words of the Altar Rebbe. That is to say that through this meditation, the individual is aroused to pray with greater devotion from the depth of his heart until he will not hear the Gentiles' words. The above explains the statement of the Baal Shem Tov in Tavat Rivash, that the Shekhinah vests itself in this Gentile for everything in this world houses the spark of holiness. And within this Gentile, the spark is present in a state of exile for the reasons explained above. How do you 
arouse such intense concentration. He says, by meditating on this very fact that you're experiencing, meditate in your experience that you're seeing in the Shekhinah God's spark in exile, the state of exile. Because everything here is godly, the intent is godly, the power to speak is godly, the thought that popped into this heathen's head is also godly, but something got lost in the translation. It, it comes out in a very coarsened, a very crass way, in a very vulgar way. The purpose is to strengthen our relationship with Hashem. But it's coming out, overtly, it's coming out in a very negative, very nasty way. It's coming out in a way of a, a, an anti-Semite who's trying to ridicule the Jew, and disturb the Jew, and interfere with our prayer and scoff at the Jew and laugh at us, which could be very, uh, very hard to hear, very hard to take. So, but what's under, underneath it all, underneath <clears throat> it all is really that divine purpose, and that divine spark. So when you reflect that the divine spark is an exile, that it's, it's trapped, like imprisoned, that alone will spur you, that alone will inspire you to redeem it. How can I help Hashem? How can I get him out of this prison? I can't stop the, uh, the heathen. It's not within my power. I'm talking about in the case, it's not within my power. There's nothing I can do. He's just standing there and laughing at me and ridiculing me and disturbing me and making noise and, and interfering with my prayer. So there's nothing I can do physically, externally. So how do I release the spark from this entrapment. How do I release, it for, I release Hashem from this prison? The only way I can release Hashem from this prison is by listening, realizing what's going on. Why would Hashem give us a Torah and give us mitzvot and then make it impossible to keep? It makes no sense. <laughs> what? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> he gives us such a Torah, makes so many demands on us, and he puts us in a world that's the antithesis of everything that's godly and holy and saintly and wholesome and good and decent and truth and genuine, truthful. What's the point? I mean, if he would live in heaven, we would live in a very spiritually conducive environment, and people were heavenly and angelic and spiritual, okay, then maybe I can follow the Torah in the midst. But he gives us a Torah, gives us a mitzvah, wants us to act morally, ethically, and spiritually, and godly, and Jewishly, 24-7, while we're living in the year 2016 with all the Meshagas that's all around us. I mean, is this a realistic program for real people? I mean, what does Hashem want from us? But when you realize that Hashem is in the exile, right, that's right. Hashem is here, and what, really, it's really here to empower us. Why did Hashem create all of this? Hashem is creating all of this. Let's not forget for a moment who's creating all the obstacles. The same Hashem who created, who gave us the Torah, told us to do Torah mitzvah, Hashem himself is creating all these very obstacles that are, that are making it seemingly impossible to fulfill. Why would Hashem create, make it an impossibility and tell us to do something and then make it impossible for us to do it? Of course not. Hashem is empowering us. This, this seeming obstacle is really here to empower us. There's a divine spark. And the real message is, 
It's not just a message, a hope, a prayer. Hashem is empowering us. I'm giving you the strength. I'm giving you the energy to go deep inside of yourself, to deepen your, your Yiddishkeit, to deepen your relationship with me, to deepen your prayers to the extent that you become oblivious to the world around you. You have that strength. It's one thing when you're in a shtetl and you're sheltered and the ghetto walls are, are up and you're divorced from the world. Okay, that's one thing. Then it's easy to be Jewish. No distractions. No diversions. What are your options? Either I'll be Christian, I'll be Muslim, I'll be Jewish. Of course I'll be Jewish. And there's no connection. But the ghetto walls are down. We're all mingled. We're in a melting pot. It's easy to assimilate. Everyone is welcome and accepted. Everyone is free to do as they please, live as they please. And yet, Hashem is empowering us. Today, we have the power to be in the midst of this environment. And now there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide. Even if you wanted to run and hide, there's no, with the internet, there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> it's like the air that you breathe. I mean, it's not a possibility, it's not an option. And Hashem says, we have, He's empowering us. He's giving us such, all these obstacles are telling us, Hashem today has given us such power, such strength. The obstacle itself is the divine spark that's giving us the power. That's what, that's what we have to meditate and reflect on. The obstacle itself, the challenge itself is, firstly, it's the ultimate vote of confidence. So when Hashem is testing us, it's the ultimate vote of confidence. He has confidence in us. He's testing us like never before. That's the ultimate vote of confidence that he trusts us and he believes in us and he has confidence in us. But the obstacle itself, says the Baal Shem Tev, is really a divine spark that's empowering us. And it's up to us. We can open the door. We can release that energy, release that, that strength. It's up to us. We have to make that choice. We have to deepen, intensify. And by responding correctly will open up, open the door and open, release that spark and that will empower us. So that, and that's our inspiration. The challenge itself is our inspiration. The heathen itself, what he's doing in this experience, that itself is our inspiration because we see in that Hashem's spark and Hashem's divine empowerment and divine energy that's really empowering us. So we can achieve a level of Yiddishkeit today that our parents couldn't even dream of. In the shtetl. It's not that we're going downhill and the world is going downhill very fast. That's not the correct interpretation. We're only going uphill. We're going towards Mashiach. It appears the world is going downhill. You're not understanding the message. Hashem is really empowering us. Hashem is telling us that today we can reach a level of Yiddishkeit, such an intense level of Yiddishkeit, we're, we can become completely oblivious to our surroundings. While we're in the midst, while the heathen is standing there and disturbing me, at that moment, at that time and place, I could go so deep into my prayer that I can become completely oblivious until it doesn't matter to me. You know, the, there was a great uh, uh, rabbi, Rabbi Shimon, so he says, you know, it's a great level when a person can meditate in isolation and, you know, can tune in and tune out. He says, but it's even a greater level 
to be sitting in the midst of people <laughs> and yet at the same time be able to meditate and go deep inside yourself to be alone there's one thing to be alone to go to the go to the mountaintop and go to some cave and to be alone and to meditate he says the greatest level is you could be sitting around people and yet you're you're alone he says the balshemta the holy balshemta in his early years when he wanted to meditate and reflect and connect with hashem he had to isolate himself he had to remove himself lock the door be alone in order to be able to focus and concentrate. In his later years, he was able to maintain that deep level of meditation even while he was speaking to people and even while he was interacting with people and yet at the same time, he was able to maintain that deep connection that he had with Hashem. So, so this is basically what he's saying. Hashem is giving us the power. The challenge itself, Hashem is giving us the power if only you know how to unlock the door and to hear the message and to act on it. Hashem says, I'm giving you the power that you could be in the midst of all this negativity and darkness and yet you can, you can be on such a high level. Like the Jewish people right before they left Egypt. The ninth plague, the last stop before they left Egypt. It says the darkness was a plague of darkness. The world around them was dark. And then the dark, darkness thickened. It became so thick you can slice it with a knife. And yet for the Jewish people, it was, it was the exact opposite. For the Jewish people, it was brilliantly illuminated. In the darkness. For everyone else, it was pitch black. Thick darkness. And yet for the Jewish people, in this darkness, brilliant illumination. This is what he's talking about it. You're dealing with darkness. You're dealing with such a thick darkness. And if you take things at face value, if you don't have chasidus, you don't have tanya, it becomes very demoralizing and very discouraging because there's no one to talk to. You see, the, you hear the madness and the meshagas and the lies and the, the libels against Jews. and the, It's just, you become, you just want to shrink like a, like a violet. You just want to go to your corner, just you know, leave me alone and, and hunker down and try to survive. That's the best you can hope for. Comes along the Baal Shem Tev, Hasidus, and Al-Tareb explains, says, no, nothing can be further than the truth. It's not a time to hunker down. It's not a time to shrink. Not a time to, on the contrary, this means Hashem is empowering us that within this darkness we release this intense light, this powerful opportunity. This, we can become so connected and our Jewishness could, could become is so potent, so powerful, like never before. So we're advancing, we're not going backwards. We're constantly advancing. All roads lead to Jerusalem. We're not on the losing side. There is no other side. The only side is the side of Hashem. There is no other side. Everything is leading to Hashem. Everything is leading to truth. Everything is leading to Torah. There is no other side. All there is is Hashem. You have to, you have to realize that. But if you don't realize it, then Hashem is truly in exile. That holy spark Hashem put it into this heathen's head to disturb us. And Hashem put it into his head 
to create, to stir up the pot and create all these challenges. But if we take it at face value, then the spark is really in exile, really trapped. Then you really start crying. But if, you, if you're able to realize what's going on here, then you're inspired, you're on fire, you become more Jewish, you will go deeper. Then you release the spark, you release that energy. You get the message. Mission accomplished. That's exactly what Hashem intended. That's exactly what Hashem wanted. You're on the ball. You have your eye on the ball. You have, you're on target. The hammer is hitting the nail. This is bullseye. You're getting it. That's how you release. So that, that's the inspiration. That's where we get the inspiration. Now, he's going to explain that the difficulty that the opponents, this is the one place in the Tanya where the Rebbe took the statement of the Baal Shem Tev, which created a big stir in the Jewish world. How could you say that Hashem, Hashem is working through this anti-Semite, this heathen, this idolater who's disturbing the Jew and is trying to interfere with the Jew and hurt the Jew? And um, Alter Rebbe just finished explaining in this long letter, I mean, at great length in this letter, very powerfully, how the Bashamtiv is a, and of course, this Bashamtiv is 100% correct. And this is classical Judaism. This is Judaism 101. This is basic Judaism. But he said the problem that they had was, and this Alter Rebbe concedes that the Tavois Arivash, which literally means the will, last will and test, testament of the, of the Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov never wrote. It wasn't his last will and testament. It was sayings, short sayings that his students recorded and uh, they called it the last will and testament of the, of the Baal Shem Tov. And so since the Baal Shem Tov didn't write it himself, Baal Shem Tov spoke in Yiddish. So they, the translation to the Hebrew wasn't always 100% accurate. So he says they're off by one word. Instead of saying that the Shechina is there, they said the Shechina is manifest. They use the Hebrew word, which means that the Shechina is manifest. And that's a mistake, because of course, the Shechina, God's presence, is not manifest. Manifest means revealed, open. God's presence is not revealed and open in this anti-Semite, in this coarse, crass, heathen, idolatrous anti-Semite. This low life. God is hidden, it's trapped. He's disturbing the Jew. He's trying to interfere with Judaism. He's trying to, to block the Jew from serving Hashem. So overtly, Hashem is not present. Hashem is hidden. Hashem is present. He's in exile. Hashem is like trapped. Hashem is there because overt, uh, covertly, Hashem is there. And there is a divine purpose. And that's the only reason why this heathen is even able to disturb the Jew, who gives him the power to speak. Even more so, who put into his head in the first place that he should disturb the Jew. Everything comes from Hashem. But it's covert. The heathen doesn't know it. It's not, it's not obvious. This is very clandestine. This is very, uh, this is like a conspiracy theory. So you can't use the word that Hashem is manifest. The Shechina is manifest. The Shechina is there, but it's not manifest. On the contrary, it's hidden and concealed. It's up to the Jew to release the Shechina, to reveal the true purpose. 
As for the compile of Tzavah Harivi, using the word Sharta, meaning the Shekhinah dwelt or abided with this Gentile, he was unable to focus on the precise term. The Baal Shem Tov of Blessed Memory used to deliver Torah teachings in Yiddish, not in the Holy Tongue. The compiler translating these discourses at the Hebrew transmitted their content, not their precise terminology, and in this case he erred. He really meant to say, Nit Lab Shah, became vested. Pushata, dwelt or abided, implies that Shekhinah was revealed. It became vested is like you're hidden behind your clothes, you know, so it's, it's, you're covered up, it's a cover-up. So the Shekhinah is there, but it's covered up. Sharsa means it's revealed, it's, it's open, and that's not the case. Whereas Nit Lavsha means that the Shekhinah was vested in a state of exile. This distinction explains the emphasis in Svaat Harivish, and especially if he is a Gentile. Firstly, even if a Jew is, is disturbing your prayer, Anyone who's disturbing your prayer, but especially if it's, uh, if it's an anti-Semite, if it's an enemy, if it's uh, an idolater, if it's a heathen, then it's, it's, it's an even uh, a darker exile. Didn't we learn that, the, that uh, divine providence with respect to a Gentile is only transcendent and not um, vested within the Gentile? But yeah, so but that, yeah, but here we're talking about the how this affects the Jew. We're not talking about the Gentile per se. We're talking about how it affects the Jew. But he but he uses the Gentile and he doesn't use the Jew. No, right. That's off the. But who put it into the Gentile's head to disturb the Jew? It's talking about how how he's disturbing the Jew. Does, does the divine providence come in, into this this individualized for this? Going this yeah, country. absolutely. Firstly, everything is divine providence. Divine providence means the tiniest detail. Everything in the world nothing is divine happens. providence. Nothing, so, nothing happens. He doesn't sense it. He doesn't feel it. From his part, he's just a vulgar, crass, hating anti-Semite, heathen, idolater, anti-Semite. <clears throat> but what's really going on, and who put it into his head to stand and to disturb the Jew and to fear with the Jew's prayer to Hashem, and who gave him the power to even speak, this comes from Hashem, because there is a divine purpose for the sake of the Jew. We're talking about how this affects the Jew. That's, that, so this is divine providence that affects, that openly affects the Jew. So that brings me to the second question. If this is evil incarnate, then why isn't it our job to destroy it? We're talking about in the case where you don't have the power. You always have the power. You don't have the power. You always have the power. You don't have the power. You don't have the power. There's no question. See, no, that, no, that's, that's no true. question. No question. If someone is trying to kill you, you have to you have to defend yourself. We, we, there's no mitzvah. We don't just we don't just turning the other cheek is not a Jewish concept. If someone tries to kill you, you try to kill them. We're talking about the case where you don't have the power. You have all these forces, and you're you're the minority. And you don't have the power. He's disturbing. There's nothing I can do about it. So what do you do in such a case? So say if you're davening and this guy is bothering you and you can't do anything about it, you just ignore it? That's what he's saying. Not, not just yeah, ignore so, it. So Daven so intensely that you completely ignore him as if he oh, doesn't really? think it is. Okay, that, that works. You know, I mean, as long as there's somebody there to back you up. Okay, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not being confrontational here, but if I'm doing something, and if I, as I'm very devout and I'm davening, and he's bothering me, okay? Okay, and I, you know, ignore it, and I keep doing this, and he just keeps bothering more and more and more. I am becoming totally useless 
to Hashem, in my view, because if I'm devoting myself here, and I am not stopping this person, even though I don't have the power, I do have the power to turn around and say, please stop doing this. Of course, okay? that's the first if thing. If he you doesn't know. do it, a chamaya, that works. Okay. Okay, now a but, lot of people say that's not a every, very, very negative approach. But not everyone is a hantri. That's not the issue. <laughs> hantri is one of the karate the masters of the world. He's in the Hashem, Hall of Fame of karate, literally. He wrote a best-selling book, sold millions of copies. From, from what, I understand, what if you have a weak Jew who's not a hantri? That's not what I'm talking about. And you have, you have a hantri standing there making fun of him. So what do you do? You, it's not an option. You're convoluting this, okay, with all due respect. If he doesn't stop, if he doesn't, and I can't get away from him, right. what am I supposed to do? That's what he said here. You, That's, so I was going to say, daven even more? You daven so, so intensely. So me with a stick, no. I keep davening more? I'm not talking about he's not hitting you. He's just he's disturbing you. So you can daven so intensely until you, you just become oblivious to him. Well, to okay, you know. It's possible. You can concentrate. I know, I, you can reach I, a level hey, of I'm concentration. A I'm here, you know. But, like, at the same time, I try to, like, maintain a semblance of... Reality. I guess sobriety relative no, to No, if you can do something. Somebody starts yelling about Jews and no, stuff we're like not that. To, I'll ignore it and walk away. If you can do something about it, we're not talking about that. He says, let's say you can't do something about it. And it's not just, this is one example. It's the whole, <clears throat> the question in a broader sense is, Hashem created a world which seems to be, by each passing day, to become more hostile. This to, is understood. To Judaism and to authenticity and to godliness and to wholesomeness. So your whole approach is how do you, how do you deal with it? You can just like, like, you know, I don't want to know from this world. This world is, is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm just going to isolate myself right. and I'm just going to ignore. Or you have to, you have, and, and which could be very demoralizing. You know, like where's the world going to? Where's the hope? Where's the future? What hope is there here for, for my children? What kind of work, what's going on? But when you realize what's really going on, that we're going towards Mashiach, what's really going on is, on the contrary, Yiddishkeit is getting stronger and stronger, more powerful and more powerful, not weaker and weaker. The, this darkness, this challenge empowers us to become even more Jewish than our parents and our grandparents and our ancestors who, was, who were isolated in the shtetl. It was easy for them to be Jewish. In today's world is not so easy. It's a choice that you have to make. But when you make that choice, it's much more intense, it's much more powerful, you go deeper, and then the darkness just, just melts away. That's the, that's the deeper message that he's telling us here, that this is the Balshamtu's perspective, the Hasidic perspective. Okay. This is how you deal with negativity and darkness. You can't just, it's not just fighting the darkness. You know, you're fighting the darkness. It's overwhelming. There's so much darkness and so much distortions and so much crookedness and negativity. It's not just punching and fighting. He's giving a much better answer. Because it's only how much could you punch and how much could you fight. It's very limited. This is, this is not what I'm alluding to, by the way. Okay. 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 I'm not alluding so, to a physical confrontation. I'm alluding to a mental and a spiritual acceptance of your role now to, it brings back the question like you said what why does Hashem create all of this and make it that difficult for us this is my issue okay yes I know if I, the harder I make it for you to get to me the more you're going to try to please me because it's really it's really well that's very noble it's really empowering us it's not it's not out to get us it's really empowering us 
within that challenge is a very... Empowering us for what? You have to be on a level to be empowered. No, no, that's bogus. Uh, uh. Empowered us to be even, to go even deeper. Our connection okay. should be even deeper, even more intense. You have to be on a certain level to do that. Were we to be speaking of the manifest indwelling of the Shekinah, how could it be said that the Divine Presence resides to a greater extent within this Gentile who is disturbed in the Jew at prayer than within the worshiper? Rather, we are speaking of a self-obscuring investiture of the Shekinah within the Gentile, but then it is so much more in exile. Obviously, it's not manifest. Obviously, this heathen and this anti-Semite, this coarse, crass anti-Semite, is not a vessel Hashem Hashem is not manifest within it. He's the antithesis of everything that the Shechina represents. He's vulgar and coarse and crass and arrogant and egomaniac. The exact opposite of everything that's godly and holy and good and decent and wholesome. But he's talking about the divine spark that's obscured, but it's hidden in there, in exile. That means it's a much greater exile. That Hashem has to work through such a coarse tool that means Hashem is really in exile. Hashem invested himself, is really hiding himself and expressing himself in, through a very vulgar tool. It means Hashem is truly in exile, truly in pain, in exile, which should inspire us to help Hashem out by releasing the spark, by getting the message and acting on it, doing something about it. What are you doing about it? It doesn't bother you that Hashem is so hidden and so concealed and Hashem is in exile. It bothers you, so do something about it. What can I do? Daven even greater. Daven even better. Okay. Serve Hashem even deeper. That's what you can do. And by davening even better, you will release that spark. You're activating that spark and releasing that spark. That's the answer. There is no other answer. There's no need to wonder at a spark of the radiance of the Shekinah being referred to in Tzvat HaRivasha Shekinah. For we find that even a created angel, which is not a spark of the Shekinah, is referred to by God's name in Pasha Vayera in the verse, and he said, Lord, do not pass by your servant, according to the commentary by Moshe Nachmanides Rambo. And it is likewise written, and Hagar called the name of God who spoke to her, where we are explicitly told that we are speaking of an angel and many more passages. So when an angel is, uh, is acting as a messenger of Hashem, then we can call him by Hashem's name because he's just an agent of Hashem. That's how we explained how he said earlier that when ten Jews gather, an angel would be burnt up. An angel couldn't couldn't um, be in the presence of ten Jews because the Shekhinah is manifest. It's, the light is so intense that the angel will be completely consumed by the light. And nevertheless, the angels carry out prayers. We have a minion. You're sitting at a Friday night table and everyone is singing Shalom Aleichem, welcoming the angels. Even when you have a large group, we, had to, we, had to, we have a hundred people sitting together and eating Friday night and you're singing Shalom Aleichem. How could the angel be present? But again, when the angel is a messenger of Hashem, then they can even be called in Hashem's name. It's only when the angel is alone, just as an individual, as a being on his own, then he couldn't even be in the presence of, 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 of a minion of ten Jews gathered together. So if, if an angel could be called in Hashem's name, surely the spark, every spark, 
So the spark that's in this Gentile, in this heathen, that spark is called the Shechina. But the Shechina is in exile. The Gentile is speaking. Who gives him the power to speak? It's Hashem's speech. It's Hashem's mouth. And he's revealing. And he's communicating. What's coming out of his mouth? Something vile. Something repulsive. Something disgusting. Something evil. He's disturbing the Jew from davening. That's terrible. But what's underneath it? What's really going on? What's really going on, it's really the holy spark that Hashem is activating. What Hashem is really telling us, it's lost in the translation, what He's really telling us is, and empowering us is, be even more Jewish. You're doing good. Now take it to the next level. Go so, so deep inside your prayer until you become completely oblivious to this obstacle. And you have that ability. And you have, I'm giving you that power. So suddenly the world becomes a friendly place. You know, it's very easy to look around and view the world as being hostile. You're trying to do the right thing. But you feel like a little pocket, a little island, a little oasis in this jungle, living in a jungle. You have a little pocket, and one individual here, another good individual there, a third individual there, too few, far in between. But overwhelmingly, the world is so dark and coarse and crass and vulgar. But if you understand what he's explaining here, suddenly the world becomes a friendly place. Everything in this world is conspiring to help us. Even that that appears to be negative. What's really going on is it's really the the divine spark that's trapped in exile. It's really conspiring and pushing us to do better and to succeed in our godliness and our relationship with Hashem. So the whole world now conspires to help us. Suddenly the world becomes a friendly place. It's a different world. He's he's giving giving us... and a civil, he's giving us a different world. He's removed those old glasses. He's giving you new glasses. Suddenly you see a friendly world. Everything in this world is here to help us come closer to Hashem. Even what appears to be negative is really also pushing us to become closer to Hashem. The exact opposite of the way it appears to Don't forget this world is, a con, is like a con artist. Don't take anything at face value. Don't take the negativity at face value. The real message here is it's really conspiring to help us get even closer to Hashem. Daven even better. Become more Jewish. More active. More dynamic. More vibrant. Not less. It's a different world. And that's how the Rebbe responded. And after the Holocaust, the Jewish people were shattered, demoralized. There were remnants, pockets left. Everyone thought it's all over. Yiddish guy, it's all over. Yeah, you'll have, like the Amish, you'll have a few pockets, uh, museum pieces. You'll have a yeshiva here. You'll have a, a little shul there. You know, it's like you'll have some pockets, but it's, it's no longer relevant. It's all over. It's finished. There's a new Judaism. New isms came on the scene. The Zionism, this ism, that in Judaism is old-fashioned. Now we have... And the new Jew, the new isms, we, we, the old-fashioned old Torah doesn't work anymore. You know, that, that died with the Holocaust, and 
And, that, and everyone just hunkered down. What was the previous Rebbe and the Rebbe's response? On the contrary. Are you kidding me? We're going to intensify it. We're going to, Judaism is going to be more vibrant than ever. More pronounced than ever, more public than ever, more powerful than ever, more thriving, more flourishing than ever, ever before. Today you have 5,000 thriving, flourishing communities in every corner of the world, in places no one ever suspected it's even possible. Hundreds of thousands of Baltrubas. But the Balshemtiv is teaching us. That's what the Alter Rebbe is explaining, the revolution of the Balshemtiv. How powerful. His statement is so powerful. His understanding is helping us understand. It's a different perspective. It's a whole different response, a whole different approach to negativity, to, to darkness, to challenges. Suddenly the world becomes a friendly place. Everything is here to conspire to help us. Hashem is with us all the time. Whatever happens to us, Hashem is with us. There's no winning side, losing side. There's only one side. It's Hashem's side. Sometimes it comes out in an overt way and sometimes it comes out in a covert way. But either way, all roads lead to truth. It seems to me, says the Alter Rebbe, alluding to the opponents of Hasidim, we take an issue with the above-discussed passage from Sava'at HaRivash, that their seizing upon the passage was not prompted by the particular term used vis-a-vis dwelling, but by the very notion that the Shekhinah can be invested in the Klippot. For they do not believe what Rabbi Isaac Luria of Blessed Memory wrote concerning in the Sefer Hagil Gulen. The bigger problem wasn't just on the language. How could you say that the Shekhinah, God's presence, is manifest amongst uh, heathens and idolaters and the antithesis of holiness? But in general, the whole idea that the Shekhinah encloses itself in the Klippa, which is really an idea from the Kabbalah, which began with the Arizal, began with Rabbi Isaac Luria. It's not something that the Balshamta, it's not an innovation of the Balshamta. This goes back uh, hundreds of years into the Kabbalah of the Ari, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, that was accepted by the entire Jewish people. Hasidim, Esnagdim, everyone. Shkenazi, Sephardi. So, your, your, your issue is not with the Baal Shem Tev. You have issues with the Arizal. Should they seek to distinguish between the spiritual kippot and the physical idolaters, contending that the Arizal is speaking only of the spiritual kippot as distinct from a, uh, from a corporal healing? There is nothing more physical than the dust of the earth. Nevertheless, the stated in the Kabbalah, the Sifra of Malchut of Malchut, of the world of Asiya, vests itself in it, and within that, that in turn is vested in the Sifra of Malchut of the world of the Yitzira, and so on, with the Sphira of Malchut of the world of Iberia, and the Sifra of the Malchut of the world of Atzidut, as mentioned above. And should it be difficult for them to conceive that the Shekhinah vests itself in the Gentile, because of the impurity of the souls of the Gentile, the souls of the Gentiles derived from the union of the masculine and feminine elements, Vug Zaun, as the union of Zeir, Anpin, and Malkut, of the spiritual Klippot, as stated in the writings of Rabbi Isaac Luria of Blessed Memory. Thus, the sources of the impurity are the spiritual Klippot, which all agree that the Shekhinah can invest itself. Why not then in the souls of the Gentiles? But in truth, the manner of this investiture, both in the spiritual and in the physical realm, requires extensive elucidation. To explain that, how can Hashem enclose Himself in something that's the opposite of holiness? 
ego, arrogance, which Hashem despises, and yet Hashem encloses himself and, and operates through. And, and uh, so how, how is that possible? He says it needs a great explanation. But it doesn't change the fact. Just because we don't understand, we don't understand electricity. We don't understand it, but we know it's a fact. Whether you understand it or not, it doesn't change the reality. The reality is, this is how the universe operates. That there is this energy and there is this force. And Hashem does reveal Himself. And Hashem does express Himself. And man, not manifests Himself, but Hashem does enclose Himself through the klipa. And He works through the klipa. Including the anti-Semite. How is that possible? It needs a great explanation. At the same time that He despises totally despises idolatry and the idol worshiper and at the same time despises arrogance and at the same time works with and through the idolater and the heathen the arrogant and the semi how is that possible? it needs a great explanation but that's the fact of life in fact in fact their complaint should not be addressed to us as the Revealers of Hasidim, the Baal Shem Tov, the Magid of Mitzrich, and the Alter Rebbe himself, but to the writings of Rabbi Isaac Luria of Blessed Memory, which it is stated that Shekhinah does indeed vest himself within Klippot. And let no listener suspect that I would imagine that I have understood the words of Rabbi Isaac Luria of Blessed Memory, divesting them from their physical connotations. For I have set out only to explain the words of the Baal Shem Tov of Blessed Memory and of his disciples according to the Kabbalah of Rabbi Isaac Luria of Blessed Memory. Now, the Rebbe says in modesty that uh, don't suspect that I fully understand it, I can explain it uh, logically and rationally, but this is what the Arizal writes, and the Arizal was accepted by the entire Jewish people. That, you know, Mithnagdim, everyone respected and accepted his authority. And this is what he writes, so this is, this, is, this is the truth. This is especially so since the concept, God's presence in even the humblest of places, is not a teaching of the Kabbalah, nor is it one of the secrets that are unto the Lord our God, but rather one of the things revealed unto us and unto our children to believe in perfect faith in the explicit statement of Scripture. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, says Hashem? And scripture does not depart from its plain measuring. Hashem does indeed fill all space, both material right. and spiritual. Forget about the Kabbalah. This is a simple faith that Jews have had for 3,800 years. As the verse says, literally, that I, Hashem, fill heaven and earth. Fill. There's no space empty of Hashem. Not only the holy places, not only the temples and the synagogues and the houses of worship and houses of study. There is no space empty of Hashem. Hashem fills the entire world, both holy and even the opposite of holiness. Hashem is present. Hashem is everywhere. There's no place empty of Hashem. So, so that's a faith. We, are, we have faith. How, what, when, where? Okay. So if you're a Kabbalist, maybe you understand it better, you understand it less. But this is something that's crystal clear to every Jewish man, woman, and child. We don't believe in two gods. You know, we're not the Zoroasters that believe there's a god of light and there's a god of darkness and there's, there's God is in heaven and we're on earth. God fills the entire heaven and earth, the whole universe. No space empty of God. That's a simple faith. That's Jewish faith. But what does that mean? Isn't that just, isn't that just creative energy? He fills the whole 
heaven and earth and everything that happens in heaven and earth. He's but, he's but the intent of the guy is something that the, the guy has 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 decided. Well, but if you truly understand, if you truly understand what that means, that I fill heaven and earth, and I fill everything that happens in heaven and earth, everything comes from Hashem. If you truly understand what it means, then everything that happens in this world ultimately comes from Hashem. There's no space empty of Him. Okay, but, but, then, but then you don't have freedom of, you know, that, that's that whole freedom of choice thing. Right? You have this, that, that question of freedom of choice. You have freedom of choice. We discussed that. The person, the per, because we discussed that. What, what, this disturbance was going to happen one way or the other. He, the fact that he chose to do that is because he's, a, he's an evil human being and he chose evil and he's going to be punished for that. He's not, a, he's not an angel. He's not an emissary of Hashem. He's a coarse, crass, vulgar anti-Semite and he's going to get his, his just desserts. Just like when the Jew, when you hurt someone else, you have to be punished for it. But even though Hashem wanted, you to, wanted this to get done, yeah, but Hashem has many, many messengers. No one asked you to volunteer. But the idea is, who put it into your head? And who put it into this? Who gave him the power to even speak? Hashem wanted you to be disturbed. And you were going to be disturbed one way or the other. If not through him, someone else, a different way, this way. Because Hashem wants to disturb you because he's trying to get you to daven on a, on a, on a much higher level. That was going to happen one way or the other. That's the divine spark. The fact that he chose that he chose to, to uh, indulge in this thought and to act on it, that's only because he's an anti-Semite and he's, he's going he's, he's gonna to have to pay for that. It just seems strange to me that we started, we started this, the chapter with the example of the Jew and he switched to, to a non-Jew. And it seems to me that there's something in the distinction between those two that there's a difference there. And you're saying really that as it affects us, there was no difference. It could have been a rock that fell from in front of you or whatever. But you know, then then why give the example of the of a non-Jew as opposed to unless it's a, uni, a euphemism? Well, he's a, no, he's saying even more so. He says a Jew, but even more so with a non-Jew that the 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 gullus, the exile is so much more prominent. And yet, even in that case, it's all coming from Hashem. And that's, that's the reality. And that's why the Jew, who's on the receiving end, he takes it in the right way. I take it in the right way. It has nothing to do with the non-Jew. It's coming from, I take it the right way. It's coming from Hashem. Hashem is encouraging me. Hashem is strengthening me. Hashem is empowering me. That's how I take it. I don't take it as a, as a slap in the face, as a put-down, as Hashem is trying to make life uh, you know, difficult for me. On the contrary. Hashem is elevating me. Hashem is taking me to the next level. That's how I take it. And if you take it in the right way, then it'll just melt away. He's going to have to answer for his actions. He's no saint. He's a, he's a miserable creature. He's going to have to answer for his actions. But that, that has nothing to do with me. What do I care? I can't do anything about it. It has nothing to do with me. Moreover, it is a simple article of faith among Jews in general, handed well, down to them by their saintly ancestors who walked artlessly with Hashem without searching the concept of divinity by means of mortal intellect, for it is infinitely beyond the intellect to know intellectually how he fills the world. But new ones have recently come to rationally examine this question. 
and it is impossible to bring it within reach of their reason except by means of premises borrowed from the writings of Rabbi Isaac Luria of blessed memory divested from their physical connotation. And according to what I heard from my masters, the Baal Shem Tov and the Megid of Nizrich may their souls rest in Eden. However, it is impossible to explain this clearly in writing, only orally to an ear that hears and understands to uniquely qualified individuals and to the remnants who Hashem calls. As it is written, they who seek Hashem will understand all. And from the affirmative, you may infer the negative, that those who do not seek Hashem are incapable of perceiving the knowledge of him as revealed in the inner dimension of the Torah, and particularly in truly comprehensible manner in the teachings of Hashem. So especially the inner secrets of the Torah, you know, you have to be open to it. You have to search for it. You have to seek out because it's like a relationship. It's a two-way street. Hashem will reveal himself to you only if you want Hashem, if you desire Hashem, and you're really searching, and you're really hungry, and you're seeking, and then Hashem will reveal himself to you. And the more intense the yearning, the more sincere the desire, the openness, the more you open yourself up, Hashem will, will reveal the secrets. It's like a marriage, a relationship. The more you open yourself up, the more you make yourself vulnerable, then your spouse responds in kind. The more superficial you are, then your spouse shrivels up also. It's a, real, it's a real relationship. It's not just a mechanical. It's not a mechanical event. It's, 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 it's a live relationship. So a live relationship is a two-way street. The more it, Hashem reciprocates in kind, the more we open ourselves up, the more humble we are, the more we seek and search and are thirsty and are hungry. It's like a good teacher and a student also. If the student really wants to learn, the Talmud says, more than the calf wants to suckle. The mother, the cow, wants to, wants to give the milk. So my, my teacher used to tell us, he says it also works the reverse. <laughs> more than the calf doesn't want to suckle. <laughs> the, 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 the cow doesn't want, to, doesn't want to give the milk. A student who's not interested, the teacher wants to share his brilliance, his depth. You know, he's so excited. His life, uh, life understanding is, is, if the students are, are not interested, or he's not, he closes up, he's not interested. It, it's a two-way street. So especially when it comes to the secrets of the Torah, the deeper parts of the Torah, you know, you have to really want, and you have to open, be open, and you have to desire, and then Hashem will reveal himself. And you become more intimate with Hashem. Hashem will reveal the secrets. You'll have an understanding of the deeper truths in life, which are not always so obvious. But if you open yourself up, Hashem will reveal. But Alter Rebbe says it's very difficult to put it in writing. You have to send a few people. And I can also test and see how real they are and how genuine they are and how they're open, they're receptive going deeper into understanding things on a much more genuine level. But to put it in writing, it's very, very difficult. I mean, Alter Rebbe put one of the most difficult concepts in writing in this letter, letter number 25, explaining the Baal Shem Tov's teachings, which created a big stir in the Jewish world then, because it was like so revolutionary, they never heard anything like it. And then Alter Rebbe explains it, that this is Judaism 101, this is basic 
faith in Hashem, if you really truly believe in Hashem, then you have to agree with what the Baal Shem Tev says. You have now seen why the Al-Qurebe could be opponent of Hasidism, an explanation of a single passage from its well-known books, as a sample and token that likewise all the problematic passages about which objections have been raised have an explanation and meaningfulness for those familiar with the hidden wisdom, i.e. the Kabbalah. However, let my esteemed readers not hope that I will explain everything in writing, for that is a hard and extensive labor, and indeed absolutely impossible. But if you so desire, send here from among you an outstandingly appropriate individual from your community, and God willing, I will talk to him face to face. And may God be with my mouth as I speak, and may the word of my mouth find favor. So he just take, took one example, one sample of something that appears to be very difficult and you think to yourself there's no explanation and you know it's impossible to explain this. And Dr. Rabbi explained it. He did the impossible and he explained it and he explained it beautifully. So Dr. Rabbi says, trust me, anything that you think that's beyond explanation and just because you don't understand it, don't dismiss it out of hand and say, I don't understand it. How can you say something so uh, startling and so outrageous? It's not outrageous. It's a startling. I, I can, you can, from this you can learn a lesson that everything, everything the Baal Shem Tev said is on the nail. It's so, gen, it's so accurate and so real. If you don't understand it, it's your shortcoming. Come and I'll explain it to you. Send me a representative with your best questions, and I'll explain everything, and you'll see that everything, everything Bashem Tev said is correct. Because it's written so briefly, maybe you don't understand it, because it was written cryptically. They just uh, wrote down the sayings of the Bashem Tev, capturing the essence of the saying without explanation. So when you hear something like this, so, such a startling statement, you don't understand it, you don't have the background, you don't, have the, you know, you don't know the introductions. So, Come and I'll explain it to you. He says, it's difficult for me to write it down, put it in writing. Look, this letter, we spend a few classes just in this letter, explaining this one point of the Baal Shem Tev. So, but Dr. Rebbe says, I just wanted to show an example, illustrate. Took one of the most difficult passages of the Baal Shem Tev that created such a stir in the Jewish world. And I'm showing you that it, Baal Shem Tev is a, a 100% right. And I'm explaining to you what he wrote and what he meant. I mean, what he said and what he meant. So everything that you think is difficult and improbable, and trust me, I'll explain it to you. You'll understand it. You'll explain it. You'll, uh, with Hashem's help, Hashem will help me and help me, give me the words that I, I should be able to communicate and convey and in a way that you should be able to understand yourself. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.